Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Raised to life with Christ the Savior in His name. New life. New life. Isn't it fantastic to see people who have experienced new life? They've been raised new creatures. It is fantastic, actually. I love it. I love to see that. It is wonderful. Lives transformed. Life, it's what we're talking about. And I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's really great to be home here and worshiping with the family of Bethesda. You sound so great today. It is just wonderful. And it's not to say that we didn't, you know, we went to church while we were away. And uh, you visit another church, they're Christians. You do feel at home, but not totally. It is really just, it's so warm and wonderful to hear the voices loving the Lord and worshiping God. It's great. It is great. I'm glad to be here. So glad. We're talking about life. We have been uh, talking about life for a few weeks, and great things happen in life. Yesterday, uh, we were privileged to be part of a marriage ceremony. Scott Wanamaker was married to Nicole Baguzas, so she's now the Mrs. Scott Wanamaker. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was great. Uh, Really, it was uh, just fantastic to be a part of that, and marriage is Marriages are happening. Marriages are being planned. It's part of life, and it's a great part of life. And I want to announce to you a marriage that is up and coming. And that's in the Errol family, Robert and Francis Errol. They would like to joyfully announce the engagement of their daughter, Haley Errol, to Michael Lubinsky. He is the son of Michael and Susan Lubinsky. They are members of Hope Community Church. Uh, Michael and Haley are planning a September 2018 wedding, and I want to congratulate them. I want to bless them. Where are you? Are you here this morning? There you are, right there. God bless you. What a wonderful thing. It's great. You're you're entering into a new life, and that's fantastic. Life Life can be fun. We started, when we talk, uh, began this series about life, we started talking about uh, being centered on Jesus Christ. Really, that is uh, the starting point for life. Life really doesn't begin until you get your life centered on Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, life's empty. Without Jesus, life is meaningless. And last week, we heard from Reverend Barry Allen about leadership We have to live our life under leaders. None of us are God. None of us are the the top leader. So life centered on Jesus Christ is under leadership. Leadership here in the world, leadership in the civil world, in the civil, civil government, leadership in the spiritual, in the church. And the head above it all is Jesus Christ. And that point about Jesus being the head and God being above all is a point that's made so many times throughout Scripture in life, in life, a life that's centered and focused and submitted uh, to Jesus Christ as the head and as the leader. Uh, There is practical application 
that can be made. And it can be made when that is taken care of, when that's satisfied, that Jesus is the head. When you read through uh, the Bible, that presupposition is actually there many times in the Scriptures. It's not mentioned that, well, first and foremost, God's got to be in charge. But in order to apply the lessons of life that the Word of God puts before us, that presupposition is there. After all, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So this morning, with that in mind, that we're keeping God on top, He is the center, Jesus Christ is the head, we want to look at... uh, more of Jesus' teachings on life. And this morning I want to address, we've already heard from Reverend Allen, anxieties, worries. No worries. This is the point of this morning. And it comes from Matthew chapter 6. Now Matthew chapter 6, just a quick, really a quick background on that. That's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6. It's this uh, place where Jesus is teaching a multitude of people. There's a a crowd of people. If you read the first verse of Matthew chapter 5, it says Jesus went up on the mountain, his disciples came, and then crowds. I don't know if Jesus was trying to get away, but the crowds came and Jesus was teaching. He was not sparring with Pharisees. Jesus wasn't being bombarded with questions from skeptics. No, he was uh, teaching those who are following him and those who had a desire to follow him. And he brings to light, through this great sermon of his, the Sermon on the Mount, he brings to light application of God's word. The word that they had, which was the Old Testament, Jesus presented to them a higher ethic. Jesus said things like this. He said, you have heard, but I tell you. So he's making application about what they've heard. They've heard the letter of the law. Jesus is giving them application. How to put this into practice. What's the heart? What's the essence? What's the spirit? You've heard an eye for an eye. But I tell you, resist an evil person. You've heard, don't break your oath. But I tell you, let your yes be your yes and your no be no. You've heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are challenging teachings, aren't they? Some might say they're even hard sayings. Pray for your enemy? Really? This is new to these people. And I I think it really was a challenge to them. Jesus is pressing people to really see the essence of God's love and the heart of God and the heart of God's law. So through it all, there is much that can be applied to life through this great Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to look at one of the points that Jesus talks about. And this morning, that point is, how do you deal with the worries of life? And this is in Matthew chapter 6. It's the end of the chapter, verses 24 to 34. I want to read those to you. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are you not much are you not much more valuable than they can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life and why do you worry about clothes see how the flowers of the field grow they do not labor or spin yet i tell you that not even solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this is a fairly long passage Jesus presents on this idea of worry. It's not a proverbial saying. It's not just a one-liner, don't worry. No, he expounds on it. He gives us uh, some practical insight. And Jesus began with a contrast. A contrast like light and dark, like day and night, like good and evil, like heaven and hell. It's a contrast this great. The Bible often presents these types of A slash B contrasts. And Jesus presents such a contrast here. And what is that contrast? It's God and money. And Jesus portrays them as masters who rule over your life. On the one hand, there's God. God is a benevolent master. He cares. He watches. He gives to his own. He's pictured as a loving father. And then on the other hand, there's money. Now, many of the the English translations still use the Aramaic word mammon. You might read in your Bible, God and mammon. You can't serve both God and mammon. And mammon means wealth and poverty and possessions. And mammon or money is presented not as a benevolent master, no. No, it's, it's a malevolent slave owner. God is the loving master. Money, it's going to own you and it's going to rule over you. So which will it be? Which will it be? God or money? Because it can't be both. And there's the rub. If you want to make the attempt to serve both God and money, Jesus lays it out. It's going to be trouble. It's going to be difficult. It's a contradiction. You can't do it. You cannot serve both. Therefore, Jesus follows up and he uses that word, therefore, because... You can't serve both God and money because. So he says, let me tell you, in essence, let me tell you about what it looks like to serve God. Therefore, and what does he say? Therefore, don't worry about your life. Now, Jesus has been making some hard sayings since the start of this Sermon on the Mount. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. These are some hard sayings, but they're specific cases in life, aren't they? Well, now Jesus 
seemingly just broadens the scope to your whole life. Don't worry about your life. Now, that's big. That's big. Not just one part of your life. Don't worry about this part or don't worry about that part. But you can be anxious about this. No. Don't worry about your life, your whole life, your complete life. Don't worry about it. Jesus puts that out there. He lays that out really as a foundational statement. This is, this is the view now that we need to keep in mind as, as we walk through the rest of what Jesus said. That's foundational. And everything else then that follows looks back to don't worry about your life. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, who doesn't want more time? More time to live. More time to be young and vigorous. Julie and I, we went away for uh, almost two weeks, and uh, things had gotten behind, I'll say. So we both said, you know, we need haircuts. So that's something that we took care of on vacation. We went and found a place. We got our hair cut. Well, yeah, I, got, I got in the airport when I come home. We we're walking through the airport to the baggage claim, and there's my sister-in-law, Mary. She was there to drive us, and she was greet, greeted us. And she said, hey, you got your hair cut. I said, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. And she says, you look 10 years younger. I said, really? I think I just moved the comb a little bit, a couple of inches, and she says, you look 10 years young. I'll take it. I will take 10 years by just cutting my hair because I want to be younger. Don't we all want to be younger? Who wouldn't take 10 extra years? Would you take 10 extra years if it were given to you? Could you if you went back 10 years, of course we would. Well, maybe not if you're 20. You might not want to go back to 10, but uh, <laughs> most all of us would take 10 extra years. You know, time is something we worry about. Time is something that can make us anxious. Yeah, so many songs are written about time, aren't they? For you Casablanca fans, right? A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. Yeah, time, time keeps going. If you were in the Jim Croce era, you know, if I could save time in a bottle right? Why? Because you, you want to hang on to it all. Or, or that was to the sort of the Harry Chapin era, cats in the cradle. You know, a child arrived just the other day, came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. Time's moving on. He was talking before I knew it. He came from college just the other day. Wow. Blink of an eye. Sun. Grew up, you know, for you country fans, right? Kenny Chesney, right? He uh, interviewed the guy who was 102. So he wrote the song, Don't Blink, right? About living to 100. Don't blink or you're going to miss 100 years. Wow, time really moves, right? So we, we want to hang on to it. What did, what did Kenny Chesney write there? When your hourglass runs out of sand, you can't flip it over and start again. No, you can't. No, no. And John, John Andrasnik, he, uh, Five for Fighting is uh, the name of his group. He wrote about living 100 years. And what was the constant refrain in his song? Fifteen, there's still time for you. Right? 
No matter how many years you live your life, 15, ah, there's never a wish better than this, to be 15 again. Yeah, we'd all like more time. And, and we worry, and, and we, we hear these songs, and the songs sort of put this nostalgic dreaminess into the, the idea of time, and they carry this theme, you know, it moves along and you can't stop it. Yes, no one can stop the hands of time as much as we'd like. You know, life is, as Kenny Chesney would say, it's a blink. James, the New Testament writer, what did he say? He said, life's a vapor. That's what, the way he described it. And yet, right in that blink, in that vapor, it's here and then it's gone. It seems that there can be incidents, you know, in your life where time just seems to stand still. You know, that moment that we're living, it just seems so long in the trouble, in the pain. You know, when you're going through a trial, when you're wondering and you're thinking, you know, what is tomorrow going to bring and even though life's a vapor, even though life is so quick, you know, sometimes there are those experiences where it seems time slows down. And then that dreaminess and that nostalgia just turns to anxiousness and it turns to worry. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Well, isn't that easier said than done? Easy for him to say. You know, but he describes then, he goes on to describe how it can be accomplished. It's not, as I said, it's just not some proverb, don't worry, be happy. No, that's not what Jesus said. And now he uses illustrations. He puts out illustrations from creation, the animate world, the inanimate world, the birds and the flowers. Jesus says, look at the birds in the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. See the flowers of the fields. They don't labor. They don't spin yarn. They don't put it up in a loom and weave themselves something to wear. No, the birds, the birds, they aren't the best of planners. They're not storing away in barns. The flowers, they don't work. They don't toil. But yet, the birds are fed. And the flowers are dressed, and Jesus makes the point to say they're dressed magnificently. Why? Because God cares for them. God cares so much for them. And Jesus says, well, what about you? Aren't you worth more than that? Think about that. You are worth more than the birds, and you're worth more than the flowers. The flowers are here today, gone tomorrow. He says they're thrown in the fire. You're worth more than that. God cares so much for them. Don't worry, because He does care for you. So, you know, is Jesus saying then don't plan? Is He saying don't, don't work? Is Jesus the original, you know, don't worry, be happy guy, just, you know, be apathetic and lazy and, you know, God's got your back, so do whatever? No, no, that's not it at all. When, when it comes to what lies ahead in life, you, we, can, we could plan or we could panic, or we could exercise some forethought, or we could become foreboding. The more that we look toward the future with some forethought and some planning, the, the less we will encounter panic and the less we'll encounter foreboding. If we're consumed by anxious thoughts about what the possible future could be, our vision of the likely future, what will likely take 
place, our vision of that's going to get blurred by the, by, by the anxiousness. It's going to be hampered. We're going to have difficulty even influencing the future. When Jesus says, don't worry about your life, and then he repeats, don't worry, not one more time, but twice more, he's not saying, don't use foresight. He's not saying, live carelessly and live carefree. No, foresight and planning, these are principles that are biblical. Joseph foresaw a famine coming. He planned for seven years. Nehemiah, he surveyed the walls of Jerusalem before he even started a rebuilding project. Jesus asked, does a man build a tower without first counting up the cost? So Jesus is not criticizing here planning and preparation. Well, what's he getting at with these illustrations? What does it mean then about the birds and the flowers? The illustrations here that Jesus is using, they're not examples of life superior to us. The birds and the flowers, they were not blessed and ordained with dominion over creation and over mankind, were they? No, it's quite the opposite. We heard this morning Reverend Barry at the open say, Genesis 2-7, we're singing about it. God breathed into man, and he breathed into woman the breath of life, and he made them living souls. And when God created man and woman, he blessed them. And he said, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky. And over every plant and every seed-bearing tree and every green plant, you have dominion. And then God put his human creation into his garden, and he said, work it, tend it, keep it. Mankind was given the privilege to work God's creation. And even after sin caused a curse, work was not eliminated. Oh, the curse came on work, and work became more of a a burden. Yes, there were thorns and thistles, but work continued. And the illustrations that Jesus is using here are those to which mankind is above. We are above the birds. We are above the flowers. They haven't been given the mandate to work the earth and tend it. They haven't been given the, the mandate to be to have dominion over all of God's creation. They don't have the God-given cognition that the human has, that God gave us to prepare and to plan and to strategize. Yet God cares for them. God cares for the birds, and he cares for the flowers. And Jesus asks, are you not much more valuable than they? Of course. So work, plan, look forward, make goals. But don't be consumed with apprehension about wealth and property and possessions. Don't worry, because God cares. So don't consume yourself with these anxious thoughts about the cares of life and food and clothes and all the things that you believe that you might think are going to make you secure. Jesus then employs another illustration. He says, The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So, the pagans, that's a reference to unbelievers, the world. And what's the the God to the world? It's materialism. Materialism, 
all these things that Jesus is saying, don't worry about. He says the pagans are running after these things. And again, remember that Jesus prefaced this whole discussion and he said, you can't serve both God and money. So those who serve God are not to be consumed with materialism. Those who don't serve God, they're owned by it. Remember, it's presented as a slave owner. And in our culture, materialism, desiring more, needing more, wanting more, worrying that enough is not enough, it's pervasive. Worrying that you, you are not as secure as you could be. Just need a little bit more. You can have a little bit bigger portfolio. Then life will be good. It's one of the biggest pulls. It really is one of the biggest pulls against the Christian is this idea that, you know, the world offers something better and something uh, worthwhile that we need to pile up here. And Jesus says your heavenly Father knows your needs. So there's a distinction. He draws a distinction between the pagan and, be the, and between the Christian. And the distinction is relational. The distinction is about your heavenly Father. Jesus repeated your heavenly Father several times through this passage. So there's a distinction between the unbeliever and the believer, and it's a relational distinction. So Christian, do you see God as your heavenly Father? Jesus says your heavenly Father feeds the birds, but the birds, they don't have that same relationship. The birds don't call God their heavenly father like we can call God our heavenly father. They don't have that parent-child relationship. Jesus says God tends to the flowers. He adorns them better than even King Solomon was dressed. But the flowers don't have that parent-child relationship with God. And Jesus says the pagans, they chase after the material things of the world. They don't acknowledge God as father. They're missing this relational aspect. There's an implication here. Without saying it, Jesus is asking a question. Are you a child of God? And the answer is, you can be. This is, this is the gospel message. If you believe in Jesus, you can be called a son of God. You can be. It means if you if you are a child of God, it means you view God as Father and you receive Jesus Christ as His Son who gave His life for you. Those who are baptized this morning, they have made that public proclamation. They have declared before us that their life is now a life given to God. And they acknowledged it this morning by being baptized, signifying their old life has died in that water. And they've been raised to new life as Jesus was raised to new life. They've come out of that water new creatures. And so they are children of God. They're children of God. They, they can say, I'm a son of God, and I'm an heir with Jesus Christ, a true brother or true sister. This is a family. This is relational. And that is not something that's offered to all of God's creation. It's not offered to the birds. It's not offered to the, to, to the flowers. It's offered to those that God breathed the breath of life 
into. Each one of us, each one of us individually, we must come to that. We must come to this point where we would enter into a relationship with God. And we do it through Jesus Christ. And when we do, we can say, I'm not going to worry. Don't worry. Because I'm a child of God. So do not worry about your life, Jesus said. And he gave these illustrations, the birds and the flowers and the pagans, to emphasize God cares. God is your Father. And then Jesus brings his thoughts to a close by explaining how a child of God is further distinguished from those that he said were pagans or unbelievers. And how is that? What is that distinction? How does he further the point? He talks about priority, prioritization, putting God first. That's the priority. And we go back to that contrast, don't we? We go back to that contrast, God or material things, God or money, God or mammon, which will it be? And Jesus plainly says, put God first. Put God first. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And then all these things, all these things that the world worries about, they'll be added to you when you get your priority straight. Let the things of God be the things that motivate you, the eternal things. The great object of life is not what's gained and built up here in this world. No, that's not the great object of life. The great object of life is what is to follow. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness because as a child of God, we are immortal. This life on earth, it's not, it's not an end, it's not the appendix, but it's a beginning, it's a preface. It's a preface of what's to come. So seek first the things of God. I would that we would all be seekers. Seekers of more, seekers of more of God's ways and seekers of more of his purpose and his direction and his protection and his will. You know, months ago, I put before us a, a scripture from Second Chronicles about King Uzziah. And Second Chronicles 26, verse 5 says, He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah was a seeker. He wasn't a seeker in the sense that we may, hear the, we may hear the word in the Christian jargon that this church or that church is a seeker church. Now, this is beyond salvation. It's beyond just seeking uh, salvation, beyond seeking the Savior. No, it's seeking all of God, seeking more of God, seeking Him for everything in your life. Seek God first and he will bring the success. Seek him first. And what becomes of this thing we call worry? Worry dissipates. Worry begins to fade. Worry begins to wane when we put God first, when we order our life in a proper priority, the way that Jesus laid it out. For what is the opposite of worry? What is the opposite of worry? Is it carelessness and carefreeness? No. 
No, the opposite of worry is trust. And when God is first, when you seek Him for direction, and when you rely on Him for protection, when you ask Him for wisdom and guidance and deliverance and restoration, oh, we can say, again, what we heard earlier, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known unto the Lord. It means we trust Him. It means He is our security not the things of the world, not wealth, property, and possessions, not the things that the pagans run after. No, God is our security. And when he has all of your trust, when he has all of it, you will find how true it is that you are much more valuable than the birds and you're much more valuable than the flowers that God feeds and clothes and that running after all the things of the world brings no security at all. Don't worry. Be a seeker and trust God. He cares for you. And when you put Him first and you trust Him and you seek more of Him, then that saying, don't worry about your life, that seems like such a hard saying, it really isn't that hard after all. We're going to sit down at uh, the table of the Lord this morning. Now, I want to ask our deacons and our elders, if you would prepare for our communion. And our communion time is open to all who are a child of God, all who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and taken Him as Savior and acknowledged that they were sinners and needed Christ. And as we sit down, I want us to think about some of these things. If you've been consumed with worry or if even you've been touched by anxious thoughts, you know, things of the world nagging at you. We have a Savior who cares. He's God Almighty. And let's remind ourselves a little bit about this, this meal that we're going to share in from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And when you receive the bread, hold it because we'll bless it together. Paul said, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now you read something like that, it might cause you to worry a little bit. Oh, judgment. Am I discerning the body rightly? Well, let's take some time. Let's do what the apostle says and look internally. Examine yourself. Is don't worry about your life. Is that a hard saying to you? Is that something that's a little difficult for you? Have you been putting God first? Do you trust him wholly and completely? Do you rely on him? 
Is He your security, or is your security coming from what you possess here in the world? Do anxious thoughts, apprehension, worry, fear about your possessions? I mean, do they, does that sometimes consume you? I don't have enough. Eh, retirement's three years away. How's that looking? You know, do, the, do these anxious thoughts creep in? Or do they sometimes even overtake you? Talk to the Lord about it. This is a great time to you know, examine yourself. Remember what Jesus repeated several times through this passage we looked at today. Your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father knows. Now, God doesn't want you as a visitor. He doesn't want you as a guest who you know, comes to call on him from time to time. God wants you as a child. He wants that parent-child relationship, a child who puts their complete, total, whole life into the hands of their parent. God wants to be that parent for you. He wants you completely. So look inside, and if you've been a little bit short, a little bit... Uh, where you've been worrying and anxious, talk to God and make Him first and complete this morning. Heavenly Father, thank You that we can be called Your child. Thank You for this opportunity You've given us this morning to examine ourselves. God, if we've fallen short, if we've not wholly and completely trusted Jesus Christ as our sufficiency, as our all. If we haven't totally given our life over to Him. Lord, if we've put one foot out sometimes into that world, if we've been pulled and drawn to security that is no security at all, Lord, help us and Lord, forgive us and thank you for this opportunity to discern your body rightly. May we be people who are truly your children, who put our lives in your hands and wholly and completely trust you with our all. Thank you, God. Thank you for the grace in that. Thank you for this opportunity, God. And as we hold this bread now, we ask your blessing on it. Bless this bread unto us, Lord, as we take time to recall what Jesus Christ did for us, that he gave his life for our salvation that he allowed his body to be broken and nailed to a cross, that we might receive salvation and forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for that. Bless this bread unto us. Bless it unto us. May it be life this morning. May it be life to us, God. Bless it as we receive it together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's eat together. It's a great blessing to be here this morning together, to sit down at the table of the Lord. It's something that we should never take for granted. We should see it as a blessing. We should see it as a great grace that God offers to us and taking time not only to examine ourselves but to recall and put in mind what Jesus Christ has truly accomplished for all of us. But not every one of our congregation can be here. Not everyone has the opportunity to sit down with us and be part of this family at this really family meal. There's a lot of folks who are sick and they're shut in and 
all our deacons and elders that you see serving you now this afternoon, they'll be going out to home visits, nursing home visits, hospital visits, to serve communion to those in our, our, our circle who can't be here. And we never want to forget them. And we do take time to receive reports from each one of our deacons and elders as they make their communion visits. And I know some of you want to read those and you want to know what's happening with those who are shut in. And those uh, reports, those notices are available to you. You can pick them up at the welcome desks this morning as you exit. And they're going to be there every single month uh, at the first Sunday of the month. So you can read about the people who are visited. You can see if there's someone, maybe you want to send a card. Maybe you want to uh, acknowledge some of these people who aren't able to be here and bless them. And we'll not only have them at the visitor's desk, but we'll also have them at the church office. And I just want you to know that, that our family is an extended family. It's not all here with us this morning, but they are all going to be touched and they're going to be able to receive this great blessing that we're receiving this morning. Let's bless this cup. Father, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. We can't say it enough. Thank you for the blood that Jesus shed for us on that cross, that he gave his very life. It's the blood of the covenant, the new covenant, the new and the everlasting covenant, God, that we are so blessed to be a part of. We're children of God, not for some finite time here on this earth, no, but for eternity, everlasting life. And it came by the blood of Jesus. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that. The cup of blessing which we bless this morning, may it be to us life, God. Thank you for it. Bless it unto us. We receive it joyfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're a good God. You're a wonderful God. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Where would we be without it? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone in this room that you have not completely holy turned your life over to Jesus Christ and trusted him, I just invite you to do that right now. And I want to pray for you as we close our service this morning. We can all lift our hands, but if you are lifting your hands to say, Lord, I need you and I want to give you my life wholly and completely, do it with sincerity this morning. Father, Lord, we just say thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the grace and the mercy and the love that you have bestowed upon us. Oh, how much more valuable we are than flowers and birds. Thank you, God. Thank you. You've given us the breath of life. Thank you, Lord, that we can put our life into your hands. Say, I don't want to worry about my life anymore because, Lord, we trust you. And God, for any and all who are in this room who have never fully and completely given their life over to you, God, if one is saying right now, forgive me, God, I want you and I need you. Lord, bless that person. Receive their sincere heart this morning, God. Bless them. Receive them. May they put Jesus Christ as first and center. And God, I pray you'd help them from this day forward. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for all of you here 
Oh, who need a blessing, raise your hands. Father, I pray that you would bless all here. Bless them and keep them. And make your face to shine upon them and be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon each one, Lord, and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes all of our understanding and comprehension keep every heart, keep every mind, keep every soul, keep every spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.